Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're hanging in there. I hope your kids are hanging in there. I know it's been kind of a long road uh, recently, just trying to keep the kids entertained, and I hope that your kids' anxiety or OCD is in check, and uh, you're doing okay. I know this has been really rough on us as parents, trying to juggle a whole bunch of stuff during this pandemic. So hopefully this information will kind of just get your mind away from all that, and we can talk about something else today. So I am bringing the member spotlight segment to you a little early. It's normally the first week of every month, and I know it's not the first week of this month. It's the end of April, but I'm bringing it early because I'm going to actually have Alicia Grogan on the show next week. I'll talk about that in a second. But today I have Shannon on, who is a member of the AT Parenting community, and she was kind enough to come on and share her story about her children's separation anxiety and the things that she struggles with and her journey and the things that she does. She has amazing ideas. I love listening to parents because every single one of us has things that are valuable and that we're doing at home that are like gold. And a lot of us struggle, every single person struggles, but there's a little piece of gold in every story. And Shannon is no different. She brings some beautiful gems in her approaches and how she talks to her kids and in some concrete tools that she uses with her kids. And, you know, I was like, I'm doing that. I'm taking that one. I'm going to borrow that one. We all learn from each other. It's not therapist to parent. We're all human. And every, every person has a creative slant on how they handle these same struggles that we're all going through. So I think you're going to find some really good takeaways in this interview today. So before we get started and we hear Shannon and her story, I want to let you know why uh, she is coming on a little early. So Alicia Grogan will be on next week. And if you have a child with picky eating, you don't want to miss this episode coming up. It's going to be really good. She talks about, I've already recorded it, so I can tell you what it's about. She comes, she's an occupational therapist and she's the creator of your kid's table. And she is a friend and she is a colleague and she is my go-to person on anything related to picky eating. And the reason why I work closely with her and I stay in touch with her, not only because she's a very nice person, her approaches are very similar to mine. Her style is very similar to mine in the OT picky eating world, but anxiety and picky eating have a lot in common. And so our worlds collide often because the people that I work with and the people I talk to like you often have picky eaters and her world, when she's talking to people with picky eating, they often have anxious kids. And so we collaborate a lot and I invite her on and she's already been on the podcast and I think you're going to find her episode valuable. So definitely mark that on your calendar and hit subscribe. So you don't miss that. It'll be nicely uploaded onto your podcasting platform. So it's right there for you to listen to in preparation for that. I did create a PDF because I want people to understand the link between anxiety and picky eating. And so I created a PDF that talks about 
ways in which anxiety creates picky eaters. And there are 10 common things, common threads that I see with picky eaters who have anxiety. And I go into them in this free PDF. So if you want to get a peek at that and see, you know, if maybe that's some of the origin of what's causing your child's picky eating, all you have to do is text picky eating, all one word to the number 44222, picky eating to 44222. And so um, it will be sent to you right away when you do that. So without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Shannon and all of her takeaways and listen to her journey because it's probably going to sound very familiar. Here she is. Well, I want to welcome Shannon to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Natasha. So I love doing this series because I think just talking to parents about their experience I always learn something and it's just interesting to hear people's stories. So I appreciate you being brave and coming on and sharing like your journey because everybody learns from other people's journeys and it helps normalize it. So I thought we could start with um, just kind of where things started for you. I know you have three kids, so you're very much like me. So you've got like a full plate of anxiety on your plate. Absolutely. I was like, I can totally relate to you. Um, Let's just start from the beginning, like when you started to notice some issues going on with your kids and what they were. Sure. So currently I have um, a Miss 12, a Miss 10, and a Mr. 7, and um, all three of them have separation anxiety, or sorry, all three of them have anxiety. They can morph into different uh, ways, but um, we first noticed it with our eldest daughter. Of course, being new parents, you never know what is normal, quote unquote normal, or uh, what we should be seeing as red flags along the way. And um, of course, when they're young, there's also that period of um, development, you know, some of it can be developmentally appropriate. Yeah. And uh, um, so it took us a while to really nail down that she was truly suffering versus just what was predictable milestone in terms of her age. So she's totally the kid who would, you know, pull up my shirt when it was time for drop off at pre-K and then, you know, following into kindergarten, the first day of kindergarten, we were the loudest family on the, in the, uh, the school, you know, she was just screaming and ripping my shirt. And of course, um, I had the luxury of being a stay at home mom, but it also means that I have the other two in tow. And so, you know, my Miss 10 um, at that time was three and she'd be covering her ears. And then I had the baby bucket in my hands with That's the baby. Awesome. And, you know, so um, not to like bring the violins out, but it was just more painting the picture of, of I'm sure what many parents um, deal with, with anxious kids. And so when we she started kindergarten, one of the lifesavers for us was working. The actually, the school counselor approached me and she said, "Listen, I just wondered if you wanted to come in and talk about my Miss Twelve." And I said, "Sure." And um, she was the one who brought up, you know, just some things to think about and ways to help her because the transitioning from getting her to the the classroom door was really rough in getting her into the classroom. And of course, every parent has that mama bear, papa bear feeling of, you know, you want to protect them, but at the same time, you want them to be able to 
uh, grow. And, and especially, you know, at that age, it's such a hard time anyways, with starting kindergarten, but um, there really wasn't an improvement after a period of time. So I'm totally the type of person too, who um, I try as hard as I can to go with the norm um, in terms of, uh, I didn't want to coddle her. I didn't want to um, start bringing or making her uh, feel she could pull these stints and then me cave and, and um, you know, succumb to whatever she wanted. So we tried very hard and, you know, your points about um, baby steps and doing things gradually really helped for us. And it was something as simple as like, you know, we read that book, The Kissing Hand, uh, which is a great resource for parents with kids that age. And I would literally have to put a heart on her palm every day. And she needed to open it if she was scared or nervous. And, you know, it and it had it morphed into other things as she got older. Yeah, it's, and it, to go back, it's really nice that you had um, a counselor, like, at the school who recognized that there was a struggle and who, who got you help or guidance early. I mean, that, that's kind of a gift. A lot of people don't get, you don't realize it at the time cause it's your first and you're struggling. Mm-hmm. And so you're just trying to like not stay on fire, but to have that extra help and that, um, that validation, you know, that something's going on here early so that you're working on it sooner. That's really cool. Oh, I was just, I mean, we're, our family's from Canada and I think I mentioned we moved to the, to the Seattle area. And so when we started having kids, I had no idea what the norm was in terms of services. And we, we go to a public school here and, um, I can't say enough about if your school does have, um, that ability to have a counselor present. I mean, we, we really lucked out cause she's literally been an extension of our family at times, um, and for me too, just knowing what's appropriate, what should I do in this situation in terms of the school environment and um, your point about we're lucky, it's true. I mean, I just don't think I would have known where to go um, if I hadn't had her there. Yeah. And a lot of times parents are reluctant to involve the school. And I think with separation anxiety, especially, but other issues too, but especially separation anxiety, it's almost mandatory. Like if they're, if they're good and you have at least some resources, a lot of people don't have access to any resources at their school, but um, because you have to have like a, you have to be able to give them the baton and, and have them pick up the baton and, and help your child because you, you're the source of the trigger really, because it's separation anxiety. So you're the trigger and, and you can't fix that because as you sit there, you're triggering them more. And so having someone safe who your child feels safe with is like so key to help. Oh, so key. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, I, um, I have felt very isolated in this journey, quite honestly, up until I discovered your program. And um, I think when it is your first, you're so unsure Um, but to have resources like this and like the counselor, I mean, all those little things help you as a parent to just be able to function day to day, because literally, you know, it would just be this 
I, it triggered anxiety in me every morning, just trying to get her there. And I'm sure that I know that affected her and my other kids. So, yeah, I mean, our kids anxiety is super triggering and then separation anxiety. I think it's even more triggering because a lot of times we have to go somewhere or we don't want a big scene or we just want them to smoothly transition from morning to school and, and having that almost that PTSD kind of response where we're like, Oh my gosh, what kind of mood are you in today? Like, how are you doing today? I know is, is so hard. My miss eight was like that at the end of last school year, not for separation anxiety, but for emetophobia and some OCD issues and just getting her to go to school because school was kind of her trigger. I just remember waking up really tense. Like my neck always hurt because <laughs> yeah, I was like, because sometimes she'd be fine. And I'd just be like, oh my gosh, I don't know why she's fine, but I don't like, I don't want to breathe in her direction until she goes to school. And then it's like, <sighs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and you know, your um, uh, one of your podcasts recently was talking about um, just making sure you look at yourself and, you know, I'm the first to admit, I just put up my kids needs first and I never really thought about how looking inward and just how I can maybe make a difference that way. And so, you know, it was little changes like every morning when I wake up, I try to wake up before them. It doesn't always happen, but that has really helped me just to clear my thoughts and think, okay, what does Miss 12 need today? What does Miss 10? What does Mr. 7 need? And even my husband. And so that I could then turn it on me and say, well, what do I need, you know, to be able to start the day in a good way and putting on classical music. We do that every morning religiously just to calm the environment before we exit the door. I love that. It's really funny. Like it has worked wonders. Like I think they just, they really gravitate to it and it just allows everyone to wake up nicely, (laughs) at least in a, a calming, you know, nice. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really helped for us. Yeah. And it's those little things that can really supplement everything else you're doing, you know, just setting the environment to be this like soothing, relaxing environment in the morning. I love how you get up early if possible too, to, to take care of yourself and to like set your mind frame for the day, which is huge. It is huge. You've got miss 12 and then miss 10 has issues too. Yeah. So Miss 10 is an introvert. And um, it's funny because my Miss 12 wears her heart on her sleeve. So you always know big emotions. You always know what's going on with her. And Miss 10 is an introvert, keeps everything inside. And I have to really work hard to find out uh, what her core fears are any given day and, and what she's feeling. Um, it tends to build up and then come out in... Um, wonderful ways. Um, you know, she'll go do anything from crying and it being a massive explosion over something very little to, um, you know, she'll stay up in the night sometimes. And, um, but, uh, she is harder to read, um, for sure. And then Mr. Seven has, um, he's been diagnosed with, uh, ADHD and dyslexia and dysgraphia. And he's a very charismatic, outgoing little boy, which I throws me for a loop because my girls aren't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he takes on a lot of social anxiety because he doesn't want to look different because so many other realms of his life are self-conscious to him. So, for example, this morning it was PJ Day and he was all so excited. And then as we were leaving, he's like, 
mommy, do you mind? Um, do these look like PJs really? And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, well, do they really look like PJs? And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, he's worried about the other kids not thinking he looks the part, you know, and we get that a lot with him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely present and I take the approach as much as I can to, um, you know, always be talking about it because I feel like it's such, I felt in my experience that it's just been such a stigma, um, the word anxiety, you know, and also the things that go along with it. Like my eldest will have massive public explosions and a lot of people don't know why she's acting like that. And, you know, she's too scared to share that. And, you know, I also listened to your podcast about how to trust those around you and, and whether or not to share that piece of yourself with others. And it is a trust thing. And so it's like this balancing act of making it um, available in terms of conversation, but also knowing that not other, there's not many other people I find that know it so well. Yeah. And it's, especially, and I feel like I'm a broken record when I keep saying this, but especially separation anxiety, because when you're 12, I think people who who really don't understand anxiety, they, they hear separation anxiety, they think a toddler. Yeah. And so as you get older and you're struggling with separation anxiety, which clinically, you know, happens between, you know, I would say 10 to like 15, then it's embarrassing for the child because they you know, intellectually know that they're not supposed to be like this. Everybody else isn't having a problem separating and then society doesn't get it. So they kind of look at kids with separation anxiety who are having meltdowns in public and think, um, get your child under control. Like totally. What, what's going on with you? <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And you know, she's felt very isolated in it and she, you know, I, she pulls it together at school. And so no one knows at school. They're actually quite shocked if I mention that. Um, but she falls apart in other areas, of course, because it has to come out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's the hard part is normalizing it for her and having her understand, you know, that separation anxiety does happen to older kids. In fact, clinically, it happens predominantly to older kids. And then I feel like separation anxiety, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's it's a duo because it's also how you respond because you're like the target of it. And normally the dad's not the target. I don't know about <laughs> in your house. <laughs> I, have, yes. I think I had one family in my 20 years of practice where the dad was the identified attachment. Wow. It's true. It just happens to be the mom for some reason. It does. And it's not, I mean, I think sometimes we can blame the mom and it's, it's not, it's just, um, just that's how this disorder presents itself. Uh, and normally it's the parent who's home or it's the parent who is um, the one, you know, doing the comforting. And so sometimes it can be the dad. If the dad is the predominant one at home, it's just most of the time it's the mom, but then it can make you feel bad. Like, well, what am I doing? Because sometimes partners will say that doesn't happen to me, you know, or yep. let me take her because she doesn't do that for me. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And, you know, my husband is very much the, uh, you know, he's a British background. So it's like, you just fake it till you make it and like <laughs> suck it up buttercup, and <laughs> <laughs> which does not work well with separation anxiety. <laughs> so, no. but, but he has witnessed it on like, for example, skiing. Um, my daughter, Miss 12, really had a hard time with him just going to the bathroom and uh, she would not 
physically let him go. And he said, well, just go on my phone and phone mom and wouldn't do it. And so it took him almost exploding because <laughs> he had to go so bad. But that's yeah. when he realized, you know, um, it's, it's much more than, than just them having a hard time being left, you know, and yeah. it's, it's very, yeah. So yeah, uh, all of them have their own little piece of it. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what things have you found? Do you, do you know like what drives that separation anxiety with your 12 year old? Like what the core fear is underneath? Yeah. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, just that one liner of what is the core fear? I've learned so much, um, out of everything. Um, so we did find out that it's very much, she feels she's going to be unsafe. And it's not so much around me of where, where I'm going to, where I am or, well, she wonders where I am, but she's not scared of anything happening to me. That's my Miss 10. Mm-hmm. Um, had that really badly. Um, it's more fear something's going to happen to me. But um, yeah, Miss 12, it was, it's all about her safety. And so um, some of the strategies we've had to do, like, for example, she was scared for me to drop her off at her counselor's um, office and be able to walk from the car into the office. And I know it sounds so uh, like ridiculous, but that, that, <laughs> that, that's where we were at. And so we did a, um, a gradual exposure um, method with her where it took six weeks, but, you know, for two weeks, she was able to um, get out of the car, immediately phone me and she could talk to me until she saw her therapist. And then two weeks after that, it was like, okay, she could text me nonstop. And then it was, you can't text until you're in the office. And so we were gradually weaning her and now she's fine to go in. I mean, we still have to do the one text, hi, I'm here, but that's fine. You know, I'm glad that we were able to get through it. And it's, it speaks volumes on how that works so well. Um, and as you know, I mean, they, they, you know, all of my kids definitely don't like surprises. And mm-hmm. so we are constantly in the morning. It's like, okay, what's today? They'll be like, what do I have today at school? You know, is it PE or, you know, they, they're constantly wanting to know so that they are in control of what lies ahead uh, the, from the other way around. Yeah. And I think it's figuring out like what is accommodation and what is actually just really helpful to decrease anxiety, you know, because sometimes that can be hard when you're getting the message from people like don't accommodate, but then the anxious person really does do well with knowing like previewing Mm -hmm. because my kids are the same way. Like I can resonate with everything you're saying. Like my eight year old, she's carrying this huge bee today because it was like an insect project. And it's like this, she made this massive bee. And so she's carrying this bee and then, yeah, as we're getting into the car, she's like, mom, are you sure we're supposed to hand in our bees today? Are you sure? Because she's oh, like, yeah. you know, it's like embarrassing social anxiety. And then, you know, I'm like today, you know, I'm, I'm making sweet and sour chicken when you come home and today, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, for you're sure. having chess and I'm going to pick you up after chess club. And it's like, you, I think as a parent to anxious kids, like you just get used to previewing everything and um, giving them that, that comfort of like, knowing what's to come. But then with separation anxiety or any other anxiety or OCD, I love how you're um, giving her like this empowerment to like have these bite-sized wins that she eventually built up to 
so that she can feel like I got this, like I can walk to therapy by myself. I can sit there and I can, I can be independent. And I think sometimes parents think with separation anxiety and all other anxieties and OCD too, like that it's, it's one or none. It's like, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard me stress this in the community. It's like, you don't have to do like the big hard thing. It's like just moving in the right direction says that we're all confident that you can do it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's hard for somebody who doesn't have that level of anxiety to understand that. Like it took me the longest time to realize, well, really we have to do that baby of a step, you know, and I didn't understand how intricate it can be. And um, it does speak volumes because you're right. Like even the littlest bit is a huge win in our family. And we've taken your idea of the wind board and we also, we have half like their names and then half uh wind board. And then the other half is um a uh, compliment board for others. Oh, in the family. So I, I they, yeah, they love it. They, and you know, oh everyone, God, everyone knows, <laughs> everyone knows the hurdles of sibling rivalry and uh, the fact that there's more fighting it seems at times than, than not, but uh, it's really kind of try to tap into the kindness, empathy kind of idea, because I feel that by nature, they all have a high EQ and their emotional yeah. intuitiveness is high. And so to allow them to use that too with each other has really helped because I take a picture of it every week and then we erase it. It's a whiteboard and then they start again. And, you know, the other day my son was like, can I see, you know, a couple weeks ago what the wind board said and, you know, and it's just been really nice for them to feel empowered with that. I so thank you. That. Yeah. Well, thank Catherine, the other, um, yes, in our community who had talked about the wind board and she always comes up with really creative ideas, but I like the supplement. I'm going to do that today. And then I'll divide <laughs> my wind board because I have three kids and you know, they fight all the time. I love the compliment aspect of it. I've been bad about taking pictures of it. I need to do that because I just erased <laughs> it and like, that's not good. So that's <laughs> these are such great interviews. Cause I'm like, okay, it's good reminders for me. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, you know, my kids, um, it's funny because through this journey, I have really learned that um, all of them feel probably the bravest they have ever been when they're in the capacity of helping others. Yeah. And uh, I only found that out. We had my Miss 12 had an autistic girl in her class. And she wasn't in a pity kind of way. She just really empathized with her. And, you know, she'd make outbursts in class that were inappropriate and everyone would laugh. And she felt really, she felt for this girl, you know? And so they had, they made the sweetest friendship and even moved into middle school. And my Miss 12 is, you know, really uh, taken her under her wing. So it's very, it's very sweet. And I, because of that empowering piece, uh, I've really tried to seek out activities that, put them in that position, um, of helping, um, because that can only help them for the rest of their life too. Yeah. And it's just such a win, 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 because it makes them feel good. Um, it's nice to give back and to like teach our kids to give back. And intuitively, I think anxious kids are helpers and, um, I mean, not all of them, but if we were to like, you know, do a poll, I think the majority of them would be these just kind hearted, empathetic kids 
It also helps with separation anxiety because when they feel empowered, like they're in a position of helping and they're in a position to help others, there's less focus on themselves and their safety. And so, I mean, you can say this again in general, but I do find with separation anxiety, that's a tool that I use a lot in my practices. Um, finding someone else that, you know, you need to go to school today because so-and-so loves you and needs your help. Like they're not gonna be able to handle it if you're not there or giving them a role, you know, go into the school early and help your teacher. She loves your help. You have to do other things besides that, obviously, but it's very empowering. So I love that. That's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it takes the focus off them, of course. Um, and you know, the other thing we do too is, um, if they're in a moment where there's a definite something comes up that they're really worried about, um, I will often hear about it incessantly and life has to go on, right? We've got three kids yeah. and so I can't be hearing about these things and it's grating as a parent to listen yeah. to this, you know? So we designated worry time um, in our house where they have to wait. Um, they can define what time that is at during the day but we have to stick to that. And if they start, you know, worrying and expressing it, I'm like, oh, no, it's not worry time. We leave that to worry time. We can talk about it then. And that's really helped kind of change the um, dynamic a bit too. Yeah. And, and I, um, Dawn Hebner talks about worry time in her, mm -hmm. like what to do when you worry too much. I do have, as a caveat, I would say don't do worry time if your child has OCD. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, and I, so I just have to put that out there for everybody. Yes. Kids with OCD. Cause I, I can't tell you how many times in my practice I've had people come to me who, who are doing worry time and their child has OCD and they, um, it's really compulsion time and so it's confession time. <laughs> so for anxious kids, it's fine. You know, if I have separation anxiety or social anxiety and I'm like bottling it all up, you know, and I'm just venting and being negative and I'm in a negative space, like, 24 hours a day. It's nice to be able to contain that, um, but not for OCD. So just like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing I do sometimes I've done with my kids is, um, I'll have, and it depends like my son, uh, I don't know, he might do this, but you know, I do red thought and green thought journals. And so it's like, you can write down all your red thoughts. Um, I talk about red thoughts being like the anxious thoughts and then write down your green thoughts. What would your green thoughts be? And so you're almost teaching them how to do some um, reframing of their own thinking before you even do your worry time. So then you said, let me see your green thoughts and your red thoughts. So you're teaching that the other end of that venting is solution focused. Like, okay, you're worried about this, but, um, and that takes forever, you know, just trying to train their brain to, to see solutions. Absolutely. And it's so important. Um, I mean, my Miss 10, she, like you said, she's an introvert she doesn't come out and say things. And so we have a journal that goes back and forth between us because she feels more comfortable writing down what she's thinking. And so then I... Good things. <laughs> You're organized. I love no, it. It really just morphed, you know, uh, just by happenstance. But she wrote me and slipped something under my bedroom door. And so I was like, okay, well, if she wants to communicate, I'll try it too. And and we, that's just been the way she likes to do it. So it's worked really well for her. Um, I my, love that. Yeah. That's yeah. So good. Yeah. My, my oldest who's 16, she's not as communicative. And for a little while when she was about 10, we did, I mean, it was like maybe a month. We just didn't stick with it, but and it's funny. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but my wind board was really for my eight and 10 year old. Um, 
And then sometimes they'll make me write wins on there, which is kind of embarrassing because, <laughs> oh my gosh, what if other people see this? It's very embarrassing. But I'm like, whatever, that's another exposure. But it's funny because <laughs> my 16-year-old, who it really wasn't necessarily for, like once in a while, I'll write her little wins. She'll write them really small. And the first time she wrote it, I thought she was like making fun of all of us because she wrote, I ate a chicken nugget. And I was like, Miss 16, like, don't write on our board. That's rude. She's like, Mom, that was really hard for me. And I forgot, like, she does have food issues, but I, like, I never realized to what level. And then last week, she wrote, like, so tiny in a corner. So I was like, who wrote on the board? And it was like, I went to school. <laughs> Aw, that is so sweet. Know. Well, you know, they can all get into it. But now there's yeah. compliments. I'm going to do that other, the other side of it. um yeah and I mean you know we've had such a journey with it and it's hard I think at times to look at the wins because they can be so small from a parent perspective um you know we've really um had to just put any expectation away and just look at what they have accomplished and you know, uh, camps are really big deal in our family. No one seems to really ever want to do them and, um, being away, especially when it's, um, something they've never done before. They don't know the environment. They don't necessarily know the people that are going to be there, um, or the instructor, what their personality is going to be like. Um, so, you know, it's, um, it's hard, but the, at the end of it, if you can, you know, my eldest daughter, she was able to do an overnight camp through school and that was a major deal. Um, and she did it and, you know, we had a lot of support along the way with it, but, um, you know, just looking back at that, it's like a huge win, even though that seems normal for the typical family, um, you have to put that aside and just look at, you know, your journey, which can sometimes be hard in a society that looks anything but, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And those are good wise words because I do think you don't want to compare yourself to other people who are not having the struggles that maybe your child is having and big wins for you, for your family, maybe nothing to somebody else, but that doesn't mean it's not significant for your child. Absolutely. I'll hear parents say, or, you know, maybe sometimes partners who don't get it, they'll say things like, um, well, you know, like I don't get a pat on the back for, you know, going to work every day, or I don't get rewarded for, you know, and it's like, well, but do you feel like you're going into like a shark tank? Probably not, you know, so it's a little different. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would be your biggest advice if you had to give someone, and we're talking mainly about separation anxiety, even though I know your kids have other struggles, um, but let's, we'll stay focused on separation anxiety. What would be your, your biggest advice for another parent who's maybe just starting out and is just starting to notice these things? Um, you know, I think that, uh, it's quick, it's quick to forget, um, a kid's sort of time zone, so to speak, like kids think so in the moment. And I think as caretakers, we are always thinking one step ahead because it's what we have to face. But um, I really try hard to just put my agenda away and be in the moment. And when they are having um, an episode, I mean, this morning we had one and, um, you know, I had to just stop what I was doing, connect with her. Um, and so I had to put the phone away, just all the distractions. And 
you know, just, she couldn't figure out, um, we had plans changed at the last minute, which is always a trigger. And she just became flustered on how to, how to get out the door. And so I just had to sit and listen and also, um, empower her by saying, listen, I know you don't want to do this right now. Um, but I trust you to make good choices and I know you make good choices. So, I hear what you're saying. I get that you don't want to go right now, but these are the reasons why you do have to go. And um, you will make, I know you'll make a great choice. So I said, I'm going to go and fill up my water bottle. And when I come back, I know that you'll make a really great choice. And, you know, it's obviously you can't do that with a four-year-old necessarily, but, um, you know, I came back and and she had gotten her stuff together and I think she just needed that moment to vent to me and she got, you know, she heard, I, she knew I heard her and then she was able to then carry out what she had to do. I love that. I love that because it shows a couple of things that I think are so important. Like one, and I just did like a little meme on this today. It's like so perfect. Did you see my meme? <laughs> I didn't. It was like um, the best, I think it said something like the best gift to an anxious child is to validate their feelings. Validation isn't accommodation. And like, that's what you did. Like you, you validated her, like you put everything on pause and you validated her anxiety. Like I get, this is hard for you so that she doesn't feel ignored or not understood. And then you encouraged her to face her fears, which is kind of the whole little blurb I did today was like, and then you said like, but like you believed in her, you like empowered her. And then you got out of the line of fire and you didn't make it about you. You didn't say, I, I'm in a hurry or you need to go or you've already missed three, three days or you didn't do any of that. You just said, I trust you, you know, like believing in her to, to move towards her fear instead of avoid. And then you, you moved away to give her that space. Um, and I love all that because that's really like ultimately I think you're – I think that just shows you've been working on it. I mean because – People maybe early on their journey wouldn't be able to do all of that and have it turn out beautiful, but that's our goal. Like that's the intention is that you're going to hit bumps. You're hitting bumps in the morning. I'm hitting bumps in the morning. Like, and this is what I do for a living, but it's like, how do we show up and how do we approach it? And that's, that's just beautiful. Well, and you know, there's a lot of mornings that it doesn't go that way, but at least, you know, I'm trying at least just to kind of change the mindset a little bit. And you know, the other thing that really works well for us and every kid is different, but my kids are total, not my middle one so much, but, um, they do, um, respond so high to, to touch. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we have this slogan, do you need a 10 second hug? You know, and even if my eldest daughter is in a tizzy, like full on crying and, and having a meltdown and can't think logically, I will just do it anyway and give her a 10 second. And I feel like physiologically mm-hmm. it's prov- proven there's like a, there's a change that happens and she's able to just calm and she knows she's in a safe place and she knows that um, I care. Yeah. And again, it's so much of it is just about validating for them. And so, you know, even my, my Mr. Seven, when he's feeling down, he'll say, mommy, can I have a 10 second hug? <laughs> love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I need to take notes. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it just allows them to kind of recenter. And um, I feel that helps with separation anxiety because I think that pulling away is so hard. And just yeah. to know that, that 
And, you know, the uh, last thing we do, um, cause I know time's going here, but, um, it's uh, funny, my girlfriend of mine, she's into essential oils and she's like, do you know that they have like a brave roller and a strong roller that you oh, can really? get? And uh, so, you know, she gave them to me and it literally means one of them. It says brave on it. That's and cool. so when they're having their moments, I just here, put it in your backpack and you can use it when you need it. And I think most of it is just like, feeling they have a solution, you know, yeah. feeling like they have something they can use in the moment. Oh, completely. I love that. I've never seen that before. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all your ideas. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. And I, I can't say enough. I just, um, I feel like you have hit so many, um, platforms and, and just have such an amazing wealth of knowledge. And, uh, the fact that, all the parents too are so inclusive and it's so validating for me as a parent to feel like I'm not the only one. And, um, I don't think I've ever felt like that in this journey. So, um, kudos to you. I really appreciate what you've done and, um, learned so much. So thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. It's nice having you in the community. Yeah. Thanks, Natasha. Well, I hope you found that interesting. Um, she was a delight to talk to. I really enjoy talking to the AT Parenting Community members. They're always so insightful, and I always get something from the conversations, and that's why I know that you do as well. So uh, our next segment will be next month, and we're going to be talking to Lynn, who's a big part of the AT Parenting Community. She um, really helps. She's like the glue in the community. And she's going to be talking about the connection between anxiety and autism and her journey in kind of fleshing that out. And, you know, sometimes you go on one road and then you find that you're actually on another road as well. So stay tuned for that. That will be next month on June 2nd. That's when she will be coming on. So if you want to learn more about the AT Parenting Community in general, you can always go to atparentingcommunity.com. We will be opening up the doors again in June. But if people are in crisis, they can always email the AT Parenting Community Manager, Sarah, and let her know what's going on because these are weird times and they call for weird, uh, not weird, but they call for some blurring of the boundaries. So I am much more open to letting people in, in between the doors opening to make sure that everybody gets the support they need. So if you are enjoying my podcast, and you want to give back, which is always a really nice thing to do. You can hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcast. If you have an extra 30 seconds and want to share with the world what you're getting from my podcast, I appreciate that. But parents appreciate that. And it's giving back to other parents raising kids with anxiety and OCD so that they can see that there's some value in the show. And I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday with my guest, Alicia Grogan. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 